All right, we will turn to the book of Habakkuk tonight. We started looking at Habakkuk last Wednesday, and Lord willing, we'll be able to do a quick overview of the rest of this minor prophet, this book. A major message, though it's a smaller book and considered a minor prophet because of the length of the book, though his message is not minor, and a very important message, very applicable for us today. So the book of Habakkuk, again, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Or if you just want to find Matthew and keep turning backward until you find Habakkuk. <laughs> whatever, whatever is uh, the easiest or the best uh, for you. So we have been in our Bible character series really throughout the, the entire year for the most part. And I'll... Lord willing, be able to take us through some minor prophets and then finish out the year with a look at Zechariah and some of the prophecies regarding the Messiah that we see in the book of Zechariah. But for quick review, some biographical and historical background to give us a little bit of a setting for this book and for the life of Habakkuk. We don't know a whole lot about him. There's not a whole lot that we find as far as biographical information from within the book of Habakkuk or from historical records. We know a little bit about him. We know that his name means one who embraces, though we're not entirely sure uh, why he was given that name. We know that he was writing around the time of when the Assyrian Empire is weakening, the Babylonian Empire is rising in power. We know that around 612 B.C., Babylon defeats Assyria at Nineveh. 605 B.C., Babylon defeated Egypt, who had come to help Assyria. But both Assyria and Egypt are defeated by the Babylonian Empire. And we know that Habakkuk is writing around this time. He would have probably watched the reforms of King Josiah and been rejoicing with all that was done under King Josiah to reestablish the temple worship and to honor the Lord and to get rid of much of the idolatry of the land. But sadly, King Jehoiakim undid much of that revival and those reforms. And Babylon uh, swept in. 605 B.C. was around the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being deported. 597 was another deportation with some more damage. And then 586 B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed and the majority of the people are deported or killed. We know a little bit about Habakkuk from chapter 3 in verse 19, where it's mentioned to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So there appears to be some musical ability possibly even a singer in the Levite liturgical choir that was involved in the tabernacle worship and temple worship, and quite likely a talented musician, which even makes sense in the poetic type of way in which he wrote his book, including some dialogue, which as I mentioned last week is similar to Song of Solomon, where there's some dialogue and it's written in a poetic literary type of form. And so less of a narrative or didactic, though there is 
some narrative, though there is some didactic, instructional type of, of uh, way or method, style, it's primarily a poetic type of form, though it's in the, the prophecies or in the prophetic books. His ministry likely overlapped to some degree, not completely, but touched on the same or overlapped some of the ministries such as Jeremiah's, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zephaniah. So, as we know, there were many prophets that God was using to proclaim his word or to predict. As God gave them revelation, there are prophets that are not named as far as books of the Bible. Elijah, Elisha, Nathan. There are other prophets that God was using, but his ministry would have overlapped with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zephaniah. He is one of only three prophets to literally identify himself as a prophet. Habakkuk 1 and verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So he refers to himself as a prophet, only Haggai and Zechariah do so, and he's the only one pre-exile to do that. Here's a map of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, or the Babylonian Empire as we most often refer to it. And we're more familiar with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar because of the book of Daniel. But you can see the land that they conquered, that they ruled, and quite the kingdom. And we know that the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist, is still in the world today. There is the mention of Babylon even in the book of Revelation. But we see that this was the first major empire that was mentioned in the book of Daniel in that image. And eventually there will be the Medo-Persian and the Greek and then the Roman. But again, this is an area of the world that continues to be in the news every single day. This is a hotly contested, debated, almost like a game of chess, power plays going on. And it's been going on for millennia. And so we know that Jesus Christ will one day rule and reign on the throne in Jerusalem and during the literal 1,000 year millennial kingdom and then in the eternal kingdom to follow. And we look forward to that day. In, in dealing with the actual content of the book, as we go through this study of Habakkuk, we can't help but look at the actual book, three chapters long. Some of this we touched on last week. I mentioned already that there is poetic style with a dialogue. He asks a couple of very important questions that we find ourselves maybe asking to some degree today. Why would God use a wicked nation to execute his judgment? We struggle even with that to some degree. There's some really wicked people out there. Why would God allow them to conquer his people, the children of God, the children of Israel. Yet there, were, there was a purpose in that, in God judging Israel for their disobedience, their idolatry, their sin, and yet there was going to be a judgment on Babylon that was to come. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Habakkuk is struggling with these types of questions. Why wouldn't God just purge and purify his people? It is the fact that we're all sinners that we all are falling, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we all deserve God's judgment, except for His mercy and His grace, we, we would all go to hell. 
And that's what we all deserve. So we have, to re- we have to remember that as we think about some of these questions. And it's one of the things that God is going to help Habakkuk with. But he had this burden. Chapter 1, verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. That word can also be translated oracle. It's the idea of a warning, a statement that had great burden to it, that had great weight to it. So this is speaking of Habakkuk's burden for his own people. The message that he carried was a heavy message. He was burdened for his people. He knew, he was reminding them of the promises of God from back in the Mosaic Law, even in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses is preaching his last sermon, and he is reminding them of what God had said, what God had declared in the law. And he said, if you follow the sins of the people of the land of Canaan, and you involve yourselves in idolatry and immorality, and you begin sacrificing your children to Molech, and bowing your knees to Baal, then there will be famine in the land, there will be drought, there will be judgment. And he's reminding them of that. That's a weighty message. A message of coming judgment, reminding them of the truth that God had already revealed. Did not Joshua in his last days say, choose you this day whom ye will serve? Where are the gods of this land or the one true and living God, the God of Israel? And he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And sadly, Israel and now Judah, the northern kingdom and now the southern kingdom, in disobedience and idolatry and immorality, they are facing the very judgment of God. Habakkuk is watching this firsthand. He doesn't have 16, 24-hour news cycles going on like we do. Every time you turn around, there's another news organization that has another headline, that has another interview with the same people that the other network interviewed. Don't you get tired of that sometimes? You can go to five, six different channels, and they're all basically saying the same thing, especially the legacy liberal. They all just sound, they're just, they're just a propaganda machine, I think, sometimes. But there's so many news organizations, and there's all this 24-7 news, and people right there embedded in uh, Israel, fascinating sometimes to listen to some of the reports. They didn't have that back in 605, 612. There were messengers, there were people coming, maybe sometimes survivors. There was word of mouth, obviously. They knew what had happened in Nineveh. They knew what had happened at Carchemish. There were raids being done, 605, 597. Babylon was breathing down, in a sense, Judah's neck. The judgment of God was coming. You would think that Judah would listen You would think that Judah would wake up, that they would repent. Thankfully, there was Josiah and his revival and reforms. But Jehoiakim came around and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And through all those reforms and that revival to the wind and led Judah into further rebellion against God. And in the midst of all that, Habakkuk, in this dialogue, as we read Verses 1 through 4, last week, we read in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Or thou wilt not hear? Cry, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. There is a seeming indifference to prayer. Down in verses 3 and 4, Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? 
For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. God seems insensitive to sin and suffering. And then down in verses 5 through 11, we don't have time to read all of these verses. But there is the coming judgment of the Babylonians, this wicked, pagan, barbaric people, Hamas-like people. Hamas violates all of the rules of war, all of them. But Israel is told to quit committing genocide. It's just ridiculous. It's nonsense. Well, in these days, there was no Geneva Convention. There were no rules of war. It was come and do whatever is necessary to subjugate the people, to let them know who was in charge. Mothers, children, babies, didn't matter. They were brutal. That was coming, and Habakkuk knew what kind of people the Babylonians were. He knew the sin of Israel, and he's saying, God, you're going to use these wicked, barbaric people to judge your people? It was a hard thing for Habakkuk to realize, to accept, but God said, Babylon's coming. This is what God's people, this is what my people are going to have to suffer because of their rebellion against me. We, I won't read this quote, but... I read it last week, and this was written in a commentary published back in 1985. And I don't know who J. Ronald Blue is, but I pulled this out of a commentary, and I read it last week. And Habakkuk's looking at all this corruption, and he's saying, God, why don't you do something? In this quote, he talks about international crises and internal corruption. He talks about global holocaust and the nation's moral fiber being eaten away by a playboy philosophy that makes personal pleasure the supreme rule of life. He talks about hedonism. He talks about crime, frivolity, drugs, divorce, and debauchery, and faith being buried, and us putting in God we trust on our coins, on our money. And it's stamped on, it's become a meaningless slogan stamped on corroding coins. And then he says, in such a world of crisis and chaos... Habakkuk speaks with clarity. This little book is as contemporary as the morning newspaper or as the internet headlines. So again, we go back to verses 1 and 2 and in our outline. And if you have a prayer list on that right-hand side on the back, there are some blanks. If you want to follow along there, you're welcome to do so. But we see, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. It seemed that God was indifferent to prayer, but there was no heart change except for the remnant. The leadership, even among many of the prophets, those who should be shepherding, among those who should be the spiritual leaders, there's corruption, there's idolatry throughout the land, the temple is not being used for proper worship to God and holiness and reverence. There's violence. He mentions violence here in verse 2. And it seems that God is indifferent to prayer. And at times, God has to turn man over to himself. We read in Romans 1 about the reprobate mind. Sometimes God has to lift his hand of mercy and his grace and turn us over to ourselves. And that's the worst place that we can be, is when we're turned over to ourselves. The corruption of our heart, the sewage of our heart comes pouring out. We don't ever want to get to that point. We're fearful of America getting to that point. We're seeing some of the consequential judgment in our land already. 
Habakkuk was seeing that firsthand. It reminds us of some of the things that were going on prior to the flood, where violence filled the land. And the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. It seems that God is insensitive to sin and to suffering. Look at these words that are used here. Iniquity, grievance, spoiling, violence, strife and contention. References to wrong judgment and the wicked compassing the righteous. So there's injustice, there's unequal application of the law. Everything from iniquity, which is sin in general, activity contrary to God's will. There's grievance, which is trouble and wrongdoing. Spoiling, which is a reference to destruction and oppression. Violence, which of course references uh, blood and murder and anything really that's harmful toward another person. Criminal type activity, strife and contention, conflict between people and people groups. Doesn't sound too different than what we read in the news today that we see going on around us. Similar type of society that Habakkuk is preaching to and ministering uh, in. And so God determines a judgment, verses 5 through 11, and then into chapter 2. Wish we had time to read through. It'd be a, uh, I know you may be in your own scripture Bible reading and maybe on a reading program, uh, but if you have time to read through the book of Habakkuk, it, it will uh, be a, a great uh, help to you as it has been to me. But we see in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, we see that God determines the judgment. He says, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. And he describes, verse number 6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. These are not good people. They're pagan people, barbaric people. They're going to bring judgment on Judah. Babylon's sin, though, would not go unpunished. And then in chapter 2, there is, in verse 1, a watch. Habakkuk is called to be the watchman to be the preacher, to be the prophet, to proclaim the truth. And I know that not all of us have a vocational calling, a vocational ministry of proclaiming the word, but all of us are ambassadors for Christ. All of us are given the ministry of reconciliation that we are to be sharing with others. So all of us have that part, that responsibility as being commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go and to preach the gospel to every nation. So we have, we have to be praying and asking the Lord to give us divine appointments and to give us opportunity with the gospel and to be bold and to have the strength and to be willing to speak up for the truth and to declare. I know sometimes we have to be careful with certain people and we have to look for certain open doors and certain open windows of opportunity. And we're going to be in places, aren't we, over the next six to eight weeks? Unsaved family, we're going to be around people, there's going to be holiday types of engagements, well, we're going to have opportunities. And it's not always, not that, not that people can't come to church and get saved, but the primary place of evangelization is outside the walls of the church. The church is really about God's people coming together for worship and fellowship and for uh, spiritual instruction. It doesn't mean that we don't have unsaved people come and hear the gospel and get saved, sure. But we need to be doing that primarily outside the church. And then, as they come in, they are discipled and they grow. But... We have this opportunity to be watchmen. He is given a responsibility to write. Verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. He has a responsibility to write down what God has given him. And we have that 
by the inspiration of God and the preservation of his word right here in front of us today that is just as relevant in the year 2023 as it was in 612 or 605 B.C. Still that relevant. And we are thankful for God giving us his word. And then he pronounces a woe all the way from verse 6 of chapter 2 through verse 20. And he talks about sins such as pride, alcoholic beverages, bloodthirstiness, idolatry. He pronounces this woe, which is an interjection of distress pronounced in the face of disaster or in view of coming judgment. And you can see the types of sins that he mentions. Are they not very prevalent in society today? Is there not a lot of pride? And it manifests itself in many different ways. Is there not a problem with alcoholic beverages and other types of drugs? I know drugs aren't specifically mentioned here in this passage, but putting them into the same category, because alcohol is a drug. And we see in verse 5, the reference, I believe it's in verse 5, Yea, also because he transgresseth, With wine, or by wine. Verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, and putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Look at all the filth that goes on as a result of people who are inebriated. Think about all the garbage, the nakedness, the orgies, the indescribable types of things that are often fueled by drugs and alcohol. It's, the world is full of it. And we see that was one of the major sins that God is dealing with here. Bloodthirstiness, murder, violent overthrow referenced in this passage. Idolatry. Those, those sins are still very real and true today, aren't they? Maybe not in quite the same forms. Maybe there's not some high place with a graven image upon the mountains or the hills, but there are some replicas or copies of that, aren't there? Some of them are in our homes, some of them are in our pockets, or our pocket, our phone gives us access to that high place, to that grove of idolatry, of immorality. There's, there's still, there's still idolatry. There, there's, is there not murder and bloodthirstiness? Now it's entertainment. Now slasher movies and blood and guts and gore. I mean, it's, it's fun and games now. We can have all kinds of blood and guts and gore, and we laugh at it and make it entertainment. But then when Hamas does it and puts it on social media, it's, and it should be called barbaric and savage. Okay, There should be no defense of that. But people will pay for that and put it on their TVs. And include with that all kinds of vice and immorality and Satanism that often goes with that. That's the kind of stuff that's going on. And they didn't even have the internet back then. I mean, unbelievable what Habakkuk is describing. And then we come to verse 20. And uh, actually, I I, I reference um, verse 20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still reigns over all, rules over all. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We don't have a word to say in defense. We're all sinners. And if not for the mercy and grace of God, so go we. I know we 
are greatly burdened and we are to be speaking the truth and we are to be condemning the sin and we are to be calling it what it is. And at the same time, we have to, have to, we have to speak the truth in love. There has to be a compassion because those are lost souls who are dying and going to hell that we're trying to reach with the gospel. At the same time, we have to stand for the truth. We have to be bold in proclaiming the truth. We have to continue to call sin what God calls it and continue to stand up for what is right. We continue to have to preach the gospel, the plain, true gospel, not some watered-down version, not some social gospel, but the true gospel. We have to continue to do that. At the same time, having compassion for lost souls. Habakkuk is in conflict, just similar to how we are. And then we come down to the, the final two points here as we are almost out of time. We see the prophet's benediction in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Is that not our heart cry sometimes? Don't we find ourselves praying like Habakkuk 3 and verse 2? O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. We know that wrath is coming and we deserve it, but Lord, please, in your wrath, remember mercy. I remember praying that as a little kid (laughs) and I had a spanking coming. (laughs) Oh Lord, (laughs) help my dad to remember mercy in his wrath. (laughs) And there are times where we find ourselves as believers and saying, oh Lord, I deserve every bit of what I get. And we see it in a culture, in a country, in a state. And we ask, Lord, to revive thy work at the same time. We know there's wrath coming and we deserve it. Please remember mercy. Wish we had time to go through all these, but there's a fresh manifestation of God's power. There's a full measure of God's pardon. God's majesty is declared and there's a reference to the fear of God. And then we come to our last point here as we hurry to the end. We see the prophet's belief in verses 17 through 19. As Habakkuk prays to the Lord... We come down to verses 17 through 19. So he spends really verses 3 through 16 declaring all the greatness of God and all the works that God has done. He makes so many references. I wish we had time to, to, to talk about all those verses. But we, we, we come to the end in the prophet's belief in verses 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Where does Habakkuk come back to? He comes back to his strength being in the Lord, the fear of God, and rejoicing in the Lord. He is in control. He knows what he's doing. He has given Habakkuk a calling to preach this message of warning and of judgment. But he wraps all that up in this great book that even though all of these things that would be considered bad in verse 17, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon high places. And may that be the 
prayer of our hearts as well tonight. As we look around and we see so much evil and wickedness, and so much famine and drought, spiritually speaking, may we find our strength in the Lord and continue to walk by faith, as Habakkuk references in verse 4 of chapter 2, the just shall live by faith. And may we continue to do so faithfully for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this little book of Habakkuk. Lord, he was used greatly of you in warning and preaching the truth. Even though there was great wickedness in the land, may, Lord, we be like Habakkuk. Even if we're not given a vocational ministry of teaching or preaching, Lord, we have opportunity in our homes, maybe in our workplaces, to be a testimony for the Lord. Lord, as we are in among family and friends and different gatherings. Lord, pray that you help us to have an opportunity to be a good testimony for you, to be a witness for you, whether it be in a classroom, in a hallway, or wherever it is, Lord. Help us to continue to stand for the truth of the Word of God and speak the truth in love. And help us, Lord, to find our strength in you and to fear you and to rejoice in you as Habakkuk did, knowing that the just shall live by faith. Faith in you, Lord. And may that be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight, and we look forward to being back together on Sunday.